So we are opening our church and welcoming some people back. And as you're seeing, we're having some challenges with that, not communicating. I apologize, Tony. We didn't talk to you. We changed things. And we noticed even last night that some people have forgotten the Catholic calisthenics, when to stand, when to kneel, what to say. And I wanted to have something special when we came back today. And I talked to Sean Baba, our music director, and this is how you know you have a good music director, when he can sit there and listen to Father nodding his head and then go, no. We will not sing the theme song from Welcome Back, Welcome Back Cotter. Welcome back, welcome back, welcome back. And then I said, all right, we can't do that. How about we do something from Beethoven's Ninth Symphony, one of my favorite ones. It's got one of my favorite Christian hymns. Joyful, joyful, we adore thee. And Father Sean said, Rick, we're not that joyful yet. Only 25 people can be at church. And all of you seem to have listened and have masks on. We're not quite joyful yet. There'll be a time when we can all come together and that would be a perfect hymn then. So we didn't get my songs to come in. We got a beautiful Marian hymn because it is the month of Mary and we are honoring her. But when we look at today's readings, which is really what the homily is supposed to be about, we have a very rich scriptural offering. But unlike last week, it's not as easy to find a discernible theme throughout the readings. Except there's, there's a kind of a general sense that the focus is moving away from the resurrection of Jesus and more starting to focus on the time of his final return to the Father when the disciples will be without his physical presence. The first reading from Acts shows the church, early church under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, developing structures of ministry in response to needs that arise as it grows and expands. And we're going to come back to that at the very end. The second reading from 1 Peter applies to the members of the church, the body of the church, to all of us. It's a magnificent set of titles drawn from the patrimony of Israel. Heading the list is the image of the church as a holy building, a precious new dwelling place for the living God. The sense that we as the people are the church and in us dwells God. The Gospel reading is taken from the long discourse given by Jesus at the Last Supper. It reflects upon his coming sacrifice and the understanding it will require from the disciples that is from the church. In fact, there are two departures of Jesus in view. The actual setting of the supper on the night before Jesus is to die makes it natural to understand the going away of which he speaks as a reference to this imminent departure in death. His return then would refer to his reappearance on the third day as risen Lord. 
Well, at one level, this is true. The discourse really addresses the more permanent going away of Jesus when he finally returns to the Father, following his appearances to the disciples as the risen Lord. His return would then be his return at the end of time, a thought otherwise rare in the fourth gospel. On the second level, what Jesus is really addressing in the conversation is not the period between Good Friday and Easter Sunday, but the time of church that will follow and will in fact extend indefinitely. This will be a time when the disciples will not have the reassurance of his physical presence and will keenly feel that loss. Do not let your hearts be troubled. What Jesus wants to insist on here, however, is that it will be a graced time, in fact, a better time. His departure to the Father will not mean loss, but rather enrichment. Not only will he be in heaven preparing a place for us, but he will also send the Holy Spirit to be with us in the meantime. One part of God has gone to heaven, but another part comes to dwell with us permanently. This gives the clue then to an alternate understanding of Jesus' statement about there being many rooms in his Father's house and about his going there to prepare a place for the disciples. In a way that has long provided comfort for many people, the statement at face value conveys the impression of heaven as a kind of vast motel to which Jesus is going in order to prepare rooms for the faithful after they die. This does not, however, do full justice to the way in which John's gospel confronts the problem of death and in particular to the richness which the gospel draws out of the motif of divine remaining or dwelling. John's gospel presents the entire work of Jesus Christ as nothing less than a fulfillment of a divine project to bring about mutual at-homeness between God and human beings. As heralded in the prologue of the gospel, the Word, whose proper dwelling is in eternity with God, has become flesh. In the human person of Jesus Christ, God has made a dwelling place literally, the translation is, has pitched his tent among us. The disciples have seen his glory in the sense that the words and action of Jesus, notably his signs or miracles, have rendered ordinary human life transparent to God's presence and to the gift of eternal life through which Jesus, God, wishes to impart to every single one of us. To have eternal life in this sense is nothing less than to have a share in God's own life, to become children of God, inhabitants of God's house forever. As Jesus explains to Martha, grieving at the death of her brother Lazarus, this is the true response and remedy to human mortality. 
I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, even though they die, will live. And whoever lives believing in me will never die. What Jesus is attempting to explain in today's gospel to the puzzled disciples is that this gift of eternal life and the divine at-homeness, this indwelling that goes with it, can only come about through his going away for a time. His suffering and death are necessary to defeat the grip of sin and death upon the human race and to open up for all of us the true way to life. The many rooms or dwelling places which he is going away to prepare are in fact the separate instances of God's indwelling in the heart of each and every believer. As he will say a few verses later from today's, after today's reading, those who love me will keep my word and my Father will love them and we will come to them and make our home with them. The disciples, as Philip so plaintively points out, cannot see the Father, but Jesus explains, he himself is the way to the revelation of the Father, to the revelation of the truth, in which is contained the gift of life, eternal life. In relating to him, they are becoming at home with God and God with them, a true indwelling of the Holy Spirit, of Jesus and the Father in our hearts. To go back to our first reading, something special is happening there. If you notice, that is the first ordination of a deacon class. These are the first deacons sent to go and help the people. We have had a deacon journeying with us for this last year, Deacon Mike Rizzo. Unfortunately, because of all the coronavirus and everything, had to go home, finish his college education online, and do a virtual graduation this weekend from Mount Angel. He is now graduated and ready to be ordained a priest. And he really wanted to be here today to talk to all of you. He wanted to pack church like all of us want the church to be filled with people. He wanted a healthy people. And unfortunately, because of all this, he can't be here. But he wrote us a beautiful letter. Father Sean, when he read it, said, I can't write anything better for my bulletin column. Please print Deacon Mike's letter in the bulletin. I hope you have a chance to get online to our website to get the, the digital copy of that and to read his letter. It's an outpouring of love for the people here. He misses us as much as you miss him. Hopefully he's able to watch in and to hear this homily and he knows how much that we appreciate him. The first deacon class sent to help people is a reminder of our deacon classes that are ordained here and the deacons that come to serve our people. 
Deacon Mike will be ordained in the County of Orange, in the Diocese of Orange, on June 6. Uh, we're looking at organizing a watch party. It will be uh, an ordination with about the same number of people as we have today in our church. So it'll be a small, small group. But we can join him online and give our support for our deacon as we honor the first deacon class in today's readings.